Hi everybody. I want to welcome you to Plum Creek's online service. I'm so grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to Plum Creek, you chose a great time to be here. We are starting a brand new series called Indestructible Joy. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at scripture, mostly the book of Philippians, and we're going to see how God can bring joy into our lives, even in a crazy year like the one we're living through. And before I say anything else, I want to be clear about something. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. When I say indestructible joy, I don't mean that we have to pretend we're happy when we're actually struggling. We're going to be honest here. And that means we can admit that we all have some bad days now and then, right? And I feel like I have to say that because sometimes the church has this reputation. A lot of people think Christians go to church and we act like we're doing fine, even when that's not the case. It's the classic story of the married couple arguing in the car all the way to church, but as they walk across the parking lot, they somehow manage to slap a smile on their faces and act like that argument never happened. So, where does that tendency come from? Well, in some cases, I think the church has unintentionally sent the message that Christians really should be happy all the time. If you want some evidence of that, I could point you to a song I sang as a kid growing up in church. Now, just so you know, I still love a lot of the church music I grew up with, but some of the songs were a little strange. For example, listen to the lyrics of this children's song. It says, I'm in right, out right, upright, downright, happy all the time. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it was really bouncy. It also had some fun hand motions. And I, understanding, I understand the meaning here. The writer of this song is saying, I am happy because Jesus took away my sin and he saved my soul. And yeah, that's a great message. But there's another implication here. When those lyrics say, I'm happy all the time, what does it mean if you're not happy all the time? What if you're in a funk right now? What if you're sad or frustrated or discouraged? Does that make you a bad Christian? Well, I believe it's important to get some clarity here, not only for the sake of the church, but also for the sake of anyone who is exploring Christianity. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you probably wanna know if this stuff is for real. You may be asking, okay, you Christians, you say your life is different because of your faith, but is it really different? And that's an important question. And the truth is, the Bible is very clear that followers of Jesus should be different than the rest of the world. We should be in this constant state of transformation where God's Holy Spirit is helping us grow in love and peace and also joy. So here's what we need to do. We need to connect scripture to real life. We need to see how God's word can show up in the real world. And I want to start by looking at a verse that might just sound a little crazy. This verse is in the book of James chapter 1. And here's what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Okay, did you catch that? James says, when you go through hard times, don't just do your best to get through it. Don't just keep a stiff upper lip. What does he say? He says, whenever you face trials, be glad about it. Think of your troubles as an opportunity for joy. Don't let yourself get down. Just rejoice. 
I think a lot of us might read this verse and, and say, well, how do I do that exactly? How do I just tell myself to be joyful when I'm struggling or suffering? And I wouldn't blame you for asking that, especially here in 2020. We've had some real trials over the past few months, right? We've had to deal with quarantines and separation from the people we love. We've had concerns about our health, our economy, our jobs, and our schools. We've had to change plans or cancel plans over and over again. We've also had the stress of conflict and division with so many people on opposite sides of so many issues. You put all those things together and yeah, you probably will have some moments when you feel overwhelmed. But James says, don't worry, it's cool. Just consider it all pure joy. So let's try to figure this out. When your spirits are low, how do you get to a place of joy? Well, we all have certain techniques that we use to try and cheer ourselves up. One method is to think about people who have it worse than you do. In fact, let me do that for you right now. I want to show you a picture here. This is a photograph of a highway checkpoint in China. What you're seeing is about 50 lanes of traffic trying to merge into a four-lane highway. So when you're having a bad day, you can tell yourself, at least I'm not in China on that highway right now. Unfortunately, though, that might not be enough to cheer you up. So let's try another technique. Sometimes when you're down, it feels really good to laugh. And this is where I'd love to tell you a great joke, but I have to apologize. I am not a stand-up comedian. However, because I care about you, I'll give it a shot. This is a combination of a dad joke and a preacher joke. Here it is. What do Kermit the Frog and John the Baptist have in common? Their middle name, the. <laughs> so are you laughing right now? Either way, I can't tell from where I am. But here's the thing. You can use any technique you want, but when you go through trials and tribulations, it is not easy to consider it pure joy. Now, we've already established a couple ground rules here. Number one, we're going to be honest. We won't pretend that we're doing better than we are. And number two, we're going to bring God's word into the real world. So keeping those ground rules in mind, where do we go from here? Well, like every week, we need to dig into scripture. But first, I want to make sure we know what we mean when we use the word joy. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon about hope. And in that sermon, I pointed out that there is more than one kind of hope. The most common type is a worldly hope, which is just wanting something to happen. But there's also something we call a gospel hope. Gospel hope is expecting that God will keep his promises. That's very different than just wanting something to happen. Now, there is a very similar contrast when we talk about this idea of joy. First, let's take a look at worldly joy. And this is the type we normally think about. Worldly joy is a heightened form of happiness. It's a good feeling that we associate with some of the best moments in life. You might think of that basketball game when your team won with a last-second shot in overtime. You might think of your wedding day or the birth of your child. But here's the thing about this kind of joy. Worldly joy depends on your circumstances. It comes and it goes. When something good happens, you probably will have this kind of joy. When times are hard, though, you're out of luck. 
But let's look at the difference between worldly joy and gospel joy. Remember, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. So what does it mean when we see the word joy in the Bible? Well, I went to a Bible dictionary and I found a definition. But to be honest, it wasn't super helpful. Here's the definition. It said, in the Bible, joy means joy or gladness. Wow, thank you for that. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to define a word using the same word that you're defining. But I will give them a little credit. We also have gladness here. So what does that mean? Is, is gospel joy just like worldly joy? Is it just a heightened form of happiness? Actually, no. When the word joy appears in the Bible, we have to look at the context. And when we get that bigger picture, we see that biblical joy is more than just a feeling or an emotion. It's more than just a happiness that depends on our circumstances. So how should we define gospel joy? Well, I needed some outside help here. And I found a good definition from a preacher named Rick Warren. I'll give you an adapted version of his explanation. Gospel joy has several components. First, it's the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. And you know, in order to believe that, you have to admit that you are not in control. Most of us would like to believe that we are in control, at least to some extent. And that's what you're doing when you try to build a life where you are happy and everyone you care about is happy. Sooner or later, though, you will get a wake-up call. All of a sudden, everything changes. Some kind of trouble appears just out of nowhere. The coronavirus is a great example of that. And you know, losing control can be a scary thing. But if you have that assurance that God is in control, a huge weight is lifted off your shoulders. The second aspect of gospel joy is a quiet confidence that ultimately God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's what we read in Romans 8.28. If you are someone who loves God, if you belong to Jesus, you can be confident that God will bring some kind of good out of each and every one of your trials. Now, this may take a while. In fact, you may have to wait until heaven. But in 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says, when we look back on this life from the perspective of heaven, we'll think of all of our troubles here as light and momentary. And you might say, well, my troubles don't feel light and momentary right now. But the truth is, heaven will completely wipe away the pain of this world. Now, there is one more component to this gospel joy. It's a determined choice to praise God in every situation. Are you having a good day? Cool. Praise God. Are you having a terrible day? That's okay. Just keep praising God through your trials as well. We always have reasons to be thankful. God is still God no matter what we're going through. He is still good. He still loves us. He still has great plans for us. So let's put all three of these elements together. The settled assurance that God is in control, the quiet confidence that God is working things out for good, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. All of these things combine to create an unshakable gladness. It's an indestructible joy. It doesn't mean that we never get sad or frustrated or discouraged. It means that we have this foundation of joy that runs far deeper than our circumstances. So let's go back to that verse from James. He said, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, that doesn't mean we rejoice because of trouble. It just means we rejoice during our troubles. Nobody likes pain, and it's okay to say that. But in the midst of our pain, we can rejoice because we know that God is always up to something good, and we always have reasons to praise Him. Earlier, I was picking on one of the church songs I learned as a kid, but I also remember singing songs that were powerful and encouraging and true. One of my favorites was a hymn called Blessed Assurance. It was number 144 in the old hymn book. I'm kind of impressed that I still remember that. But anyway, I want to share some of the lyrics of that hymn. The chorus went like this. It said, This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I love that. When you sing that chorus, you're saying, You want to know my story? My story is that Jesus changed my life, and I'm going to praise Him no matter what. That is powerful. So I think we all have a better understanding of gospel joy, and I know that was a long explanation, but it's important to lay that groundwork. And now that we have this understanding, we're ready to jump into the book of Philippians. In the whole Bible, there's probably no other book that emphasizes the theme of joy like Philippians does. In just four chapters, we see 15 references to the word joy or the word rejoice. And we really shouldn't think of Philippians as a book. It's actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was addressed to the Christians of a town called Philippi. Now, this will sound familiar to anyone who was a part of our journey through the book of Acts this summer. Philippi was the town where Paul and his friend Silas were thrown into jail right before a big earthquake hit. And in the aftermath of that earthquake, Paul helped the jailer become a follower of Jesus. And that jailer and his entire household were all baptized into Christ. So there was a core group of Christians in this town that grew into a thriving church. And after Paul left, he continued to keep track of the Philippian church, and he encouraged them from a distance. That's what he was doing when he wrote this letter. But there's something we should keep in mind here. Paul wrote this letter from prison. It was likely a prison in Rome. And that's pretty amazing because, like I said, one of the major themes of this letter is joy. And guess what kind of joy that is? It's that gospel joy. It doesn't come from Paul's circumstances because his circumstances were not good. He was literally in chains. But despite his suffering, he had a joy that was indestructible. So we want to learn from Paul here. Where did he get this indestructible joy? And what about us? Are there practical steps we can take that will bring this joy out of the Bible and into our lives? Well, I've been reading Philippians for the past few weeks, and I've seen that, yes, there are several practical steps that we can take. We see one of those steps in Philippians chapter 1. I won't read this whole chapter, but I do want to look at a few verses. Let's start with verse 3. Paul says to the Philippian church, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what jumps out at me when I read that? It's that Paul really seems to love these people. 
You can almost picture him smiling as he writes these words. And he's thinking about specific individuals like that jailer who almost killed himself before he became a follower of Jesus. I'm sure Paul is remembering Lydia, the woman who showed great hospitality to Paul and his friends. I'm sure he was also remembering the slave girl who had been possessed by an evil spirit, but then she found freedom through the power of Christ. You know, in a similar way, I kind of smile when I think about some of the great friends I've made in different churches over the years. I think about Jeff and Tamara Hogan. When I was single, Jeff and Tamara sort of welcomed me into their family. And then we served together in youth ministry and worship ministry. I also think of Randall Tanini, who was on our student ministry team in Savannah. I met Randall when he was just out of Bible college, and I saw him grow into a great leader who had this passion for God and a passion for leading people to Jesus. These days, Randall is out in San Diego. He's leading a growing church plant, and they're doing great things for Christ. Well, I could go on and on and on, but the point is, I relate to Paul here when he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. But I want to point out something else in these verses. Paul said, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And that's the first time we see the word joy in Philippians. But did you notice, where did that joy come from? Paul said, it's because of your partnership in the gospel. It's because of the relationships we've built. It's because we've served together for the same cause. So Paul was thinking about the past, but he was also excited about the future. He knew that God was at work in these Christians, and they were growing up into maturity, and that thought gave him joy. It's a lot like the joy you experience as a parent when you watch your kids growing and learning and reaching new levels of maturity. We see this in our home all the time. For example, in the past couple of weeks, my kids have become entrepreneurs. They've set up a lemonade stand several times. They made little bracelets and trinkets, and they went around selling them door to door. They even planned a carnival for other kids with homemade games and fun little prizes. They advertised in the neighborhood, and this carnival was a big hit. For being 11, 9, and 7 years old, I've been so impressed to see them taking initiative and doing new things. And that must be a little like what Paul was feeling here. It was a sense of joy. He went through hardships in Philippi, and now he was in prison once again as he wrote this letter. But Paul knew that God is in control. He knew that God had taken his suffering and worked things together for good. And because of that confidence, because of that assurance, Paul made the determined choice to praise God. But then we also have to think about the other side of this. What was it like for the Philippians to get Paul's letter? I'm, I'm sure they were so excited when his message arrived. I'm sure somebody stood up in their worship service and read Paul's letter to the whole congregation. And I bet they also thanked God as they remembered Paul. And they would have picked up on his joy which would encourage them to have joy during whatever trials they faced. So it's a two-way street, isn't it? And this is the power of relationships in the church. When we connect with each other and we become a true family, and when we serve together for the purpose of leading people to Jesus and bringing glory to God, 
And when we praise God together, even in the hard times, we cultivate in each other a real and lasting gospel joy. If you only take one thing away from this sermon, here's what I want you to remember. Followers of Jesus remind each other that we can have joy in Christ no matter what. Now, this statement is completely true. It's true on our good days, and it's also true on our bad days. But you know what? You and I both need to be reminded of that truth. I was talking to somebody this week about how they've been holding up during the pandemic. And she said, honestly, I've been feeling a lot of anxiety. I feel like I'm constantly up and down. Some days I'm doing all right, but other days I'm not so good. And remember, it's okay to admit that. It's okay to be honest. But at the same time, that's when it's so helpful to have these strong relationships with other believers in Christ. It's like the Beatles said, we get by with a little help from our friends. As we remind each other that it's always possible to have joy. God is still in control. He's still working things together for good. We still have reasons to praise Him. Now, I said that we would be very practical here, and I think we've hit on a principle that we can put into action. If relationships among Christians encourage joy, we should make it a priority to build these relationships. Back at the beginning of summer, we did something new at Plum Creek. We challenged everyone to join a small group of just three to four people. And we had a plan for these groups to meet once a week during our series through the book of Acts. And the goal was to build deeper relationships and also encourage each other to take steps to follow Jesus more closely. Now, I know that some people were not able to get into a group and others had trouble meeting consistently as the summer went on. But for everyone who was able to join a group and also stick with it, I've heard some amazing things. I've heard about people going out and taking very bold steps to show the love of Christ in our community. And through all of this, these groups of three to four really fostered a sense of joy. Let me read you a few quotes from these groups. One person said, Having other guys to talk to while working from home and being isolated has been great. Another one said, With me being relatively new to reading scriptures, it was a great time for me to ask questions and get perspectives from others in the group. Here's one who said, Meeting with my group has been the best hour of my week. And I'll give you one more. Somebody said, I don't know where I would have been without this group. It's pretty cool. Now, these three to four groups, they were designed to last for 10 weeks. And my group had our final meeting this past Wednesday night. But where do we go from here? Well, in past years, August is the time at Plum Creek when we launch our life groups. And in a normal year, we've had close to 20 groups meeting in various homes or sometimes at the church building. However, as you know, this year is anything but normal. At the same time, though, it's still a priority to build these relationships. So I want you to know that we are starting new small groups that will begin the week of September 13th. We've been working on a plan that will be very flexible because we know that every situation is different right now from one individual to another and one family to another. But in the next few weeks, we'll be rolling out this plan and we'll let you know how you can get plugged into a group. For the moment though, 
Here's all you need to do. Number one, plan ahead to be in a small group. Make it a priority. Maybe your group will meet in person. Maybe you'll be online. But just don't go through this fall without these strong relationships. And here's the other thing to think about. I'd like you to prayerfully consider heading up a group. And let me be clear about this. We're not asking you to do what life group leaders have done in the past. We're asking you to invite a few people to meet together and then just facilitate a discussion. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. We'll give you all the resources you need. We're going to make it as simple and straightforward as possible. And this is not a long-term commitment either. It's just 11 weeks from the week of September 13th to the week of Thanksgiving. And if you pray about this and you're willing to be that point person, here's your next step. You are invited to a small group vision meeting next Saturday, August 15th at 9 a.m. in the Worship Center at Plum Creek. We'll follow the same health and safety guidelines that we do on a Sunday morning. We'll also make this meeting available online if that works better for you. But this opportunity is open to anybody who's willing to step up and facilitate these kinds of relationships. We know this is a practical way to encourage real joy. And it's also a way to communicate to the world that life is really different when you belong to Jesus. We can totally see that difference in the Apostle Paul. I want to close by reading just a few more verses in Philippians. As I read these verses, I want you to think about the relationships between Paul and these Christians in Philippi. In verse 7, Paul is still talking about the joy that he has in remembering these friends. And he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's no doubt that Paul had a strong affection for these friends. And because he cared about them, he prayed for them. And what did he pray for? Did you see it? He prayed that they would grow in what? In love. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's what Jesus called the two greatest commandments. Love God and love people. So I'll leave you with this. The greater your love for Christ and the greater your love for others, the more you will find true joy. I'm praying that you and I will grow in that love and that joy this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. And I thank you that through Jesus, we can have a relationship with you and that you can help us grow in love for you and for others as well. I also thank you that it's possible for us to have joy in Christ a joy that doesn't depend on our circumstances. It can continue through the good times and the bad times. So Lord, would you enable us to experience that joy even today? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.